this week, we're actually going to be starting a new series that's called Driftwood Hope. And I know that that's kind of a really weird title, but let me just kind of like frame for you where this sort of thing came from. And it really actually, it's my fault. It came from me because right now I can't help but feel like everything that I hoped for in life, or at least just like everything that I hoped for through the spring and even through the summer and now through the fall feels a little bit shipwrecked. It feels a little bit like all of the hopes of where I was hoping to go has just been crashed upon the rocks. And some days I'm like, that's okay. I can sunbathe on the rocks. And, and some days it feels like I am like looking through the wreckage, trying to salvage different parts of what has happened. Now, I don't know, maybe you, um, Maybe you, after the result of this whole shipwreck of all of life and all of the different things, like you're doing fine. You gathered together your pieces and you put together a little raft and you're sailing on to next Honolulu. Like that may be where you are, but I feel like where I am is that, and I think where a lot of us are, is that we're still sort of wading through the wreckage. We're still sort of cycling through grief and loss and trying to name the different things and, and grieve once again all over whenever there's one more date that's canceled, one more wedding that we can't go to, one more graduation that, that we're not going to be able to celebrate in the way that we wanted to, one more vacation that's just not going to happen, or one more paycheck that's not coming in, Right? I think there's a lot of us where we are in the midst of naming all of the things that we have lost and we're trying to figure out a path forward to move forward through this shipwreck and we're still kind of wading through the wreckage. Now, this series was actually supposed to be about the book of First Peter, which has been really in the plan for months to right now we are going to look at First Peter. But for the past four weeks that I've been trying to sort of create an outline for the series and looking at First Peter and reading commentaries and reading it again and reading it again and listening to this and that, like it has felt like I have been hitting a wall like over and over again. And I just feel like it's because of the weight of this shipwreckedness that I feel that, that I just kept hitting this wall. And, and finally, I just resigned myself and I was like, hey, maybe God's actually trying to say something to me. Maybe perhaps God wants to lead us and our congregation in a different direction, looking at a different part of scripture. And I sensed that God was reminding me that I'm really, and you are not the only ones who have experienced this feeling of a shipwreck. There is this long history of those who have experienced life that has been sort of dashed on the rocks where things didn't turn out as they expected and they found themselves sort of clinging to driftwood, trying to hold on to hope. And what's been stirring in me during this season is that perhaps the wisest thing for us to do is to listen to the voices and the stories of those who have lived on the driftwood, who have hoped against all odds as they cling to the driftwood. And so I thought that it might be good to, to lean into those characters in the Bible who clung to hope while holding on to the driftwood so that we might be able to find hope no matter what boat 
we find ourselves in. Now, most of the stories and the characters in scripture that we're going to be looking at, they are probably likely already known to you. But sometimes in times like these, it's not new content that is needed. It's simply a reminder of the stories that we had once hoped in that will revitalize and rekindle hope in us again. And so I'm hoping that during this series, we would find hope among the driftwood and we would find some hope to cling to. So our story today, we're going to be looking at, again, like I said, is a pretty familiar one. It's a story about how God long, long ago needed to rescue his people And it wasn't from a sinking ship, not literally. It was actually from their own sin. It was from their own sin that separated them from God. It was their own mortality that was going to bring them death. And so God's son who existed in complete communion with God in heaven from the beginning of time became human and wed the divine and the human together and took on flesh and became vulnerable and killable and entered the world as a person who we know as Jesus. And Jesus came to set up this new kingdom here on earth so that it would unite God and God's people. Now, while Jesus walked this earth, he actually chose 12 disciples that would follow him and learn to do what he did. And and as they followed him, they witnessed the fact that Jesus would go around and tell the people about a new kingdom. It was this new world that would be kind of this upside down, inside out, totally countercultural kingdom where people would experience heaven on earth. Because there'd be no more sin and there would be no more death because there was no more separation from God. Can you imagine sitting at a table and there be no more fighting from your children? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that there would be no more masks because there's no more disease? Can you imagine a world where there's no more loneliness or isolation, no more brokenness? And that is the kingdom that Jesus spoke of. And then what Jesus began to do is he began to show the people that it wasn't just talk. It wasn't just words. He showed them what this kingdom looked like. So he set up tables and he invited everyone to eat at them. Jesus healed people and he raised them from the dead and he set them free from their social or spiritual or relational or emotional or physical bondage. He raised the dead. Those who were far from him were brought close and the new kingdom was coming. It was really, really here. And now the disciples were just following him around. And oftentimes, honestly, they were confused by this kingdom he kept talking about. They, they thought that the new kingdom meant that Jesus was going to overthrow the government, that he was going to overthrow the Roman oppression and empire and political system. They thought that Jesus was a political leader. They thought it had everything to do with politics. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about politics. So they were just really confused especially when three years into this whole thing, Jesus got arrested by the very people that they thought he was there to overthrow. And then he was silenced by them. He, he, was, he was sentenced to death. And just like that, he was dead. 
And his body was taken and placed in a tomb as a grave. And this large rock was rolled over the entrance to seal the tomb. And all of their hopes were completely shipwrecked. They thought that he was the one, but what were they going to do now? Who's going to overthrow the Roman government? Who was going to set us free? Who is going to be the king of this new kingdom? Is all of that just over? But what Jesus had planned in his death, what was happening in the darkness, what was happening behind the scenes, was something so much bigger than they could have ever imagined. So three days after his death, there were some women who were going to the tomb in order to attend to, the, to his body. And when they arrived, they found the strangest thing. That big rock that sealed the tomb, like it had been rolled away. And then they entered the tomb and, and Jesus' body was gone. And at first they freaked out because they thought somebody had stolen the body, but then a messenger from heaven came and told them, no, 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 the body hasn't been stolen. Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, this is a super strange concept. Like, let's never allow this story to become so familiar that we just accept it for what it is. Resurrection from the dead is weird. In fact, the closest thing that we have in our stories and fairy tales is really like zombies and ghosts. But Jesus wasn't either one of those. There was a bodily resurrection. He was all there together. He was alive after death. If you or I were there, we could have put our hands in the holes of his hands and the holes of his feet, we could have touched the wounds that he had from the cross. Scripture tells us that after Jesus came back from the grave, he actually hung out with people for over 40 days. He interacted with them and engaged with them. He seemed totally human because he ate and he talked and he laughed just like a normal human being. But then there were these other things that he did that weren't so normal, like he would like spontaneously disappear or he'd walk through doors that were locked or he would change his appearance so people wouldn't be able to recognize him. He didn't age. And then at the very end, he like levitated into heaven. That was not so human. But those who interacted with the resurrected Christ slowly began to realize that if Jesus was experiencing life after death, that what we experience in this life isn't all there is. Even if death befalls us, Jesus had the power to bring something greater than death for all of us. That all of a sudden, in the middle of this wreckage, there were these signs popping up like bobbins in the water that new life would come. That those who had been lost, those who had died, those who mourn would have new life. The places that were dark would no longer be dark. They'd be filled with light that there was hope for the hopeless, that there was peace in the middle of the distress, that the resurrection meant that the death, death doesn't have the last word, that darkness doesn't have the final say. And so the followers of Christ began to cling to the driftwood that was popping up all around them and holding on to hope that all people and all things could be redeemed and brought to life. Now, this offer of new life wasn't based 
on how good people were or if they had their theology or their beliefs right or how obedient they had been. It actually had nothing to do with what they had done or didn't do. Instead, it had everything to do what Jesus did. It had everything to do with his power and his love and his grace and his forgiveness. It had everything to do with his death and his resurrection. So when the woman, when the women who went to the tomb were first told of the resurrection, they ran back home and they told all the other disciples. They were the first preachers of the resurrection. They go and they tell all the other disciples. And now at first, when the disciples, they they heard of Jesus's resurrection and they encountered the risen Lord, they were filled with joy. What could this mean? This life is not all there was. No matter what we're going through, this isn't the end. They were on the side of the creator, the king of glory, so death could not touch them. Pain had no hold. All was pure joy. And for most of the disciples, it really did feel that way. But while all the other disciples were like experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus who had risen from the grave, there was one disciple who didn't share in all of the excitement. And this was Peter. While everyone else was celebrating that Jesus had come back from the grave, Peter found himself buried in his own grave because he was still dealing with something that had sort of become this big rock, this big barrier to trusting life after all of this was even possible. You see, on the night when Jesus was arrested, the night before Jesus died, Peter actually was outside of the building where the trial was going on. He had followed Jesus there. It was likely because Peter wanted to find out what was happening to his dear friend. Like he was really worried about Jesus. He really cared about him. But only hours before all of this happened, only hours before he was arrested, Jesus had told Peter something that was really disturbing and disheartening. Peter, Jesus told Peter that he wasn't going to make it through the shipwreck without going overboard. Peter would deny that he even knew Jesus before the night ended. It would happen before the rooster crowed. And Peter honestly refused to accept that. He kept telling Jesus, like, that's not true. I'm with you in this to the death. I would never deny you. Remember, you told me I'm the one who's going to build your church. I would never reject you. Never. That's not going to happen. I'm going to set up your kingdom with you. And yet only hours later, like, here's Peter in the courtyard, staring in to the coal-burning fire with the flickering light glimmering in the darkness. And this conversation is playing over and over again. Jesus saying, you're going to deny me. And Peter responding, no, I'm never going to do that. You're going to deny me. No, that will never happen. And as he was lost in his thoughts, this young slave girl like comes up to him and noticing in the firelight that she has seen him before, she says to him, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Don't you know that guy? And Peter, right on clue, right on cue, responds, no, 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 I, I don't know him. I don't know who that guy is. And three times Peter denies Jesus and he is swept into the sea. And in that moment, he feels himself being crushed into this watery grave. So much for building the church. 
so much for going with Jesus to the death. He's now saying that he didn't even know him. And a wave of fear and embarrassment just like sweeps over Peter. He had messed up and he had betrayed the very one that he loved. And Peter was this guy and he felt sealed inside this tomb of shame and guilt. And he lay there with like out any hope that anything would change. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that grave? Have you ever been in that position? Maybe it was caused in the past or the present, but you live, you've lived with little hope that life is going to change or that there's no difference that's going to happen, that nothing's gonna shift, nothing's, everything's just pretty hopeless. Perhaps it's been brought on by an addiction that like nobody knows about, that maybe is festering right now. Or perhaps it's been brought on by sexual brokenness or a fractured relationship. Maybe it's sort of a mental or physical illness that just keeps popping up and it lingers no matter what you do. Perhaps it's been brought on by this failed pursuit of perfection that you're trying to live this life by all of the rules and still accomplish all of the things. And what you found is that you still lie in a grave of shame and guilt with little hope that anything's going to be any different. Now, friends, here is the power of the resurrection. That when Jesus conquered the grave, he conquered all of our graves. So in a few days after Jesus rose from the dead, it was time for Jesus to rescue Peter from his grave. The resurrected Jesus actually finds Peter and his disciples on a boat. They're fishing. And Peter is so distraught that he was actually in the fishing boat naked. He's unable to even put clothes on for the trip. And here's the deal. That may sound really ridiculous, but as someone who's really struggled to change out of my stretchy pants for the past 10 weeks, I understand this idea and this struggle, right? It is really, pants are really hard when the whole world seems like it's been shipwrecked. Am I, am I wrong about that? So I'm with Peter in this boat. I hope you might be there too. And after helping them catch this huge load of fish, Jesus actually calls the disciples to the shore of the beach so they can eat breakfast together. And I don't know if you can imagine it, but I can imagine the scene where everyone is laughing and smiling as they stuff their faces full of fish because they've been reunited once again. And they're reminiscing and rejoicing about the amazing things that have happened and all that those things mean. But Peter stares into the coal burning fire, the flickering light gleaming in the dim morning light. And a conversation plays in his head over and over again, just like it did on the night before Jesus' death. Do you know the man? No, no, I don't know the man. I've never met him. And while everyone else is rejoicing and finding hope and moving forward, Peter is stuck in his grave with this big stone rolled over his heart. And then Jesus calls Peter to his side. He pulls him away from the group. And I don't know what Peter was thinking in that moment. If that was like, okay, here comes the discipline and consequences conversation. Like I, I don't really know what Peter was thinking 
But Jesus doesn't rain down consequences and judgment. Instead, what Jesus does is he gives grace and mercy and love. The Bible tells us that this is how the conversation went. That when they had finished eating, Jesus moved. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And while Peter is expecting this reprimand, Jesus just gives compassion and grace and love. Jesus is pulling him from the shipwreck and securing him on a piece of wood. And he calls Peter once again to build the church, to engage in the kingdom of God, even in the middle of the shipwreck, to be loved, to love God's people and to care for them. He says, you're forgiven. There's no more guilt and there's no more shame. And all the ways that you haven't done these things perfectly well, or you haven't done the right thing, those are all gone. And in that moment, the stone over Peter's heart is sort of rolled away by the power of Jesus's love and his grace. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. See, when Jesus conquers the grave, when he rolls whatever stone that is this barrier for us to trust in him, Jesus calls each one of us to respond. He says, follow me. And and honestly, that is what he is saying to you right now. See, it doesn't matter what it is that you've done. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what shipwreck you're a part of right now. Jesus's resurrection means your resurrection. It not only means that he has come to life, but that he can bring you to life in this life right now. The fact that Jesus conquers the grave means that he has conquered all of the graves, including yours. Doubt, shame, guilt, depression, self-sufficiency, or anything else that has left you dead and buried and sinking in the water. Christ, the risen Lord, has conquered the grave. And he offers you new life. He says, follow me, and he's waiting for your response. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is keeping you from following Jesus? What is keeping you? What is the huge stone that is keeping you in the grave? What is the fear? What is the insecurity? What's the grave that is keeping you from rejoicing in the resurrection? What is keeping you from holding on to hope? What's keeping you buried in shame, guilt, or doubt? Is it what's happening in the world around you? 
Now, for some of you, you have never entered into a relationship with the one that has conquered not only his grave, but yours. And I pray that today will be the day where you say yes, where you sort of open up your heart in this yes position. And maybe for some of you, you don't totally even know what that means, and that's okay. But to just sort of say, God, I have all sorts of doubts. I have all sorts of insecurities. I have all sorts of questions. But I'm beginning to think that maybe you're the one that can rescue me. So I'm, I'm just going to creep my hands open just a little and say, yes. Would you bring hope to me among the driftwood of this situation? Now, I know that there are others of you that, that have already accepted Jesus, that you've been walking with him in a long time, for a long time, but perhaps you're in a situation in this moment where you just feel a little like you're drowning. And so if that's you, I want to say that whether you accepted Jesus last week or 10 years ago or when you were six, that what Jesus wants to do is to continue to hold on to you to give you hope in the middle of whatever situation that you are walking through. See, Peter, this guy who rejected Jesus, he goes on to build the church. He becomes the leader of the church. And in fact, part of the reason that we are all here now is because of what Jesus did for Peter, that he pulled Peter out of his grave through the power of Jesus' resurrection. See, God has an amazing story for you to live out, one that will be tremendously built, that will tremendously build the kingdom of God, that will bring heaven to earth. So don't let the story run over you. Don't let the shipwreck that you're in the middle of right now make you think that there is not hope because there is when, because when Jesus conquers the grave, he conquers all of our graves. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this reminder of hope. We thank you so much for this tremendous legacy of the people that we can look at that had experienced hopeless situations, but you came in and you said, no, it's not over yet. I am just beginning. And so, Father God, would you allow that truth to, be, um, to, to resound in our own lives? That even though we look at the wreckage to the right and to the left and say, what is happening? Even though we grieve the loss of all of the different things that we are in the midst of, that we would say, oh, no, 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 God's not done yet. God is not done yet. God is only beginning and that our hope would not be placed in some sort of fairy tale, but in the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father God, we ask that you would bring resurrection to all of us. We pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.